Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, I'm so happy you're here and excited to introduce you to our guest today, an incredible woman and yoga teacher who teaches in Madrid, Spain. We're back in Spain, Carmen Yagüe, but she has a beautiful yoga school in Madrid where she teaches yoga and also a podcast, Voices del Yoga, where I was a guest just a few weeks ago. I am really excited as well to be traveling to Madrid and also Barcelona in September. I'll be teaching in Barcelona September 22nd to the 26th. So I would love for you to come. We're going to have a deep Ashtanga Yoga immersion. And then I will be headed to Madrid September 27th to October 1st, where two shalas are hosting me, the My Yoga Shala Madrid and also the Ashtanga School Madrid. At the Ashtanga School Madrid, this is Carmen's school, and I would love for you to meet Carmen and hear about her journey, and also come and join me in Spain in September, either in Barcelona or in Madrid. It would be great to have you there. I cannot wait to get back to Madrid. It's such a beautiful city, and I'm excited to see Barcelona. I've never been there. So Carmen herself is a little bit of a rebel, She's never conformed to the way things were supposed to be. She always sort of had a sense that she didn't fit in. And this sense drove her or created a curiosity about art and yoga. And that's what pulled her into this yoga practice. It really helped to open her up. And before that, she felt a little closed off from the world, protecting herself. And so... The Ashtanga Yoga gave her the structure and the power to practice anywhere in the world. It also gave her the courage and the confidence to take responsibility for her practice. And when she learned about the Mysore style and committed to a Mysore style practice, it just like pulled her in and she ended up devoting all of her life for the last several years to learning from great teachers like Shelley Washington, uh, David Swenson, Tim Miller, Santina Jardina, who's a good friend of ours. Uh, all of these people, well, except for Tim Miller, Shelley Washington, David Swenson, Santina, you can find in episodes on our podcast if you'd like to hear from them. They are all here in the podcast uh, archives. And she also traveled to India and became an authorized Ashtanga yoga teacher with Sharat Joyce, uh, practicing many years in Mysore, diving into that entire experience. Uh, she felt like that these extremely lengthy practices were you know, really creating some difficulties in her life. They were, you know, quite tiring and they were not really nourishing her. And so that's what we're exploring is how her approach to practice has changed, how the practice now is really connecting her more deeply within and how she's using the asana practice in a more supportive, nourishing way so that she can listen more deeply and connect with her intuition and honor her needs and practice maybe in a little bit more feminine way, a little more gentle way, 
um, in a way that helps to create more clarity through the mind and the body. So I am thrilled and excited to introduce you here to Carmen. I hope that you'll come and seek me out while I'm in Spain in September. Um, And then you can meet Carmen in person. (laughs) And I look forward to sharing this episode with you. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell K. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And Carmen Yagwe. Hello, Carmen. Yagwe. Yagwe. Hi, Harmony. Thank you for having me. Long long time no see. Long time, yeah. Yeah, I think the last time we saw each other, at least for me, we were in Madrid and I was getting kicked out of restaurants for sitting cross-legged with no shoes. Oh. It's not, not allowed in Madrid, evidently. I do it all the time. Where do you go? Now, I was asked, I, we went to fancy places and we were asked to leave and it was not nice. I was like, you, have, you cannot sit like that. We have enough issues here. Mm. That never happened to me. It never happened. No, never. Mm. But I got kicked out from a restaurant in Malta once. Malta? Yeah. Well, that's a fancy place, Malta. Yeah. Well, medium (laughs) fancy. Why did they kick you out? I can't remember. I think I I wanted to sit on the shade. It was like, it was very. It was very absurd. I wanted to sit on the on the shade, and so I moved the table a little. And the guy was oh. outraged because I had moved the table. Yeah, yeah. Two meters. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not your table. Two meters. Like two centi- like a little bit. I don't oh, know. centimeters. Centimeters. Centimeters is is this centimeters is very small. Make it fifteen centimeters. So he was very 15 centimeters. Oh dear. He was very upset. And then I gave him a horrible look. That's true. Because he was like, screaming at me. And I gave him a horrible really? look. Yeah. And he told me, go. Out. <laughs> I had never been kicked out from a restaurant. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever kicked someone out of your yoga room? Not yet. Not yet. <gasps> Oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling when you point to the door and you say, out. <laughs> I have done that many times, actually, but only in England. England. Yeah, they're the worst, actually. <laughs> but I actually, someone was just refusing to do the vinyasas properly. They just weren't intimidated by you, so. The English? Yeah. Oh, then, but they did once I started screaming, <laughs> What's Out. I would. I said you were like the yoga police, the yoga uh, Nazis. The Br- Brighton could use set, like a Nazi in, incursion. Like what do they call that? The Luftwaffe and the Blitzkrieg. They could use more of that. <laughs> I mm. don't think so. I think it didn't do. They didn't it's do a very enough. Nice place. They didn't do enough there. I think. What are the students <laughs> like in Spain, Carmen? <laughs> you you run a Mysore program in Madrid. I feel like Spain is the new, like Spain and Portugal are taking over the Ashtanga yoga world. Mm. There's so many teachers and so many students and so many places. It's funny you're saying that because I was having a conversation not too long ago with a friend and I was telling her, this is like the new Ashtanga Mecca. Yeah, I think so. 
and used to be Tokyo, but now Madrid. It's it's like Spain as a whole and Portugal. <laughs> Ho Young used to teach there in Madrid. You know, or was that Barcelona? No, Barcelona. Is that? And she was like the only one. I think it was Barcelona, but maybe it was Madrid. Maybe Nick was in Madrid. Ho Young? Do you do you remember Ho Young or no Ho Young? She was like the first one before was, there was any ashtanga there was like no ashtanga in spain a korean dutch american that was teaching ashtanga yoga 20 years ago in uh madrid uh no barcelona mm. yeah like in the early 2000s mm. she opened her school in 2003 maybe uh, looking at the behind you so what are the students like there what is it about ashtanga yoga that that attracts mm. so many students and People Why aren't you kicking them out? <laughs> no, I don't kick people out yet. I haven't kicked anyone yet. I don't know if this will change. But actually, I started teaching in London. And when I moved to Madrid, there was a bit of a cultural clash for me. Because in the oh. UK, yeah, in the UK, people, you just show up in class and you do your thing. And if you're teaching, maybe it's like a little small talk, like a little thing. And then everyone yeah. does what they're supposed to do. Yeah. It's way more social. And I lived, I moved back here after having lived abroad for, for a few years in in Ireland and uh, in the UK. And so I came and I, I was not in the Spanish mindset at all. <laughs> like uh, shake people's hands, oh, look at me like, well, are, well, this is a business meeting. Just give me a freaking kiss. <laughs> like, I don't want to kiss. <laughs> I'm not used to it anymore, you know. Um, so the social convention is very different. And also, like, how you connect with people and how you are supposed to be, it's just different. So I think it was a little odd. It's two, three years. It's a little yeah, it odd. took you some time to readjust. It's a little awkward myself, like in this course, I yeah. like kissing people like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> At six in the morning, so I don't really feel like talking right now, but. Uh, right. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Growing up in the Midwest, we, in Illinois, yeah. we're not allowed to touch the opposite gender. <laughs> Oh and then when I moved to New Orleans, like everyone is kissing and hugging and it was peculiar for sure. And you kind of <laughs> try and get into the vibe. And when I moved to New York, everybody had like picked that up. And so all the girls at, in the Shalas in New York were kissing me after <laughs> class. And I was told to, to knock it off, knock it off. You know, stop it. And I was like, oh, I th just thought that's what I thought that was cool. You know? <laughs> it's funny how like um cultural norms sort of shift with the weather <laughs> yeah. like it's very cold up north and people are more like to themselves and then down south it's more warm and people are a little more like open yeah. and expressive yeah. and kissy yeah yeah i i'm not sure about why the, the kissing thing north south <laughs> Of mine, I'm really not sure. I'm gonna think about it. But a friend of mine, of mine, told me a very interesting theory of that has to do with economy and with the ability to plan. And I think he has a good point. Get in the south, if it's hot, you don't need to plan ahead. You don't have like a 
cold winter coming, snowstorm. Mm -hmm. So you can get food now or tomorrow or in one mm -hmm. week. It makes no difference. Yeah. But if you're up north and the storm is coming, you really need to plan and you really need to be on top of things. And that, yeah. I think, keeps your brain. Uh, yeah. Yeah, six weeks without food changes things in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> like that pepper you ate. Yeah, the pepper. Yeah, so peppers, you don't need you don't want to eat again right away. <laughs> no. So even though you grew up in Madrid, this was not the place that you started practicing yoga, was it? Uh, I started practicing. Uh, no, I actually started in Madrid. I started okay. my class was uh, that was in 2004. It was mm -hmm. a Shiva yoga class, and I went okay. because of mine told me that it was cool. So I showed up with another friend. Uh, I was bored to my head. If I'm honest, I was <laughs> I was very bored because I was like. I, I liked movement. I, I liked action, and I didn't find that much action. I was in my early twenties, and uh, I was very restless. Mm -hmm. And so I was bored, but I was polite, so I stayed and I did as I was told. And then with my friend, we went to the final relaxation, and he started snoring. So it's like I was elbowing him, like you're embarrassing me. <laughs> Like snoring so loud. <laughs> uh, tired. <laughs> didn't come back. I think I decided not to come back, and they will not allow him to come back because of the snoring. <laughs> <laughs> he was kicked out, actually, Russell. Um, mm. Yeah, that's good. I like to hear about that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but then I I started doing. I used to swim a lot and I used to run, uh, go to the gym, do some weights. I always been into physical activity and action. Yeah. And then I started looking for some form of yoga that would be a little more powerful and found it. <laughs> and so where did, did you find Ashtanga Yoga in Madrid at that time or did you find it later on? I started in Madrid. But it was Ashtanga Yoga, but I didn't know it was. Ah. They called it Power Yoga, but it was the yeah. Ashtanga. It was the first series, and we um, we did what we could. It was taught like you follow along, what you can do, you do. What you cannot do, well, come back tomorrow and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But I, I liked it, and I, I liked all the tattoos. I felt yeah. so... Like all my body was shaken. And so I realized mm. as strong as I thought I was. And that also like the the, um, the feelings of my of my own body and my own mind, something shifted inside. Um and that encouraged me to to keep going. And then I continued practicing when I moved to Dublin. This was in 2010. Yeah. And, and yeah, I did in Dublin and then I moved to London and that's when I went really hardcore, really militant. 
Yeah. So were you at a school in Dublin or were you just practicing on your own? Did you have a teacher there? I was, yeah, there was a teacher. Uh, there was a lady that had trained with Paul Dalligan. And I started doing lead classes. <clears throat> I was one of those students that refused to do Mysore. And I didn't want to do Mysore. I didn't see why I would show up and do self-practice. So I wanted to be lead guided. But then something interesting started to happen. I was uh, working in sales back then. Well, actually in business development for an international company that was based in. And I started to wake up like 20 minutes early. I bought this uh, book by David Sanson, the the yoga practice where you have the short forms. And so Uh I was 15 minutes. and I went to the office. I had so much energy, and I was literally smashing my numbers. <laughs> I was like, wow. all sales targets. They were, I, I was killing it. And so I started to wake up earlier. Like, he had, <laughs> yeah, he had this like 30 minute short form. So I started like half an hour, then 45 minutes. And then I started to teach myself like full primary, which I had done already, but I started to do that. And then eventually I went to Mysore to. A miser class, just to get things a little more uh, yeah. cohesive. <laughs> yeah, and that was all in. Was that all in Dublin that that was going on? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you moved to London because she was promoted based on the numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually was. <laughs> <laughs> I was promoted and I <laughs> I was moved back in Dublin. I was working for the Spanish market and mm-hmm. based in Dublin for EU uh, taxes and stuff. Um, and then I was promoted. To, to, I applied for a role in the UK market. They gave it to me. And so I, I was in London. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> And so then you were totally sold on on this yoga thing because yeah. <laughs> you got yeah, promotion. Yeah, yeah as oh. long as you're been promoted to London, you might as well keep up the <laughs> yoga. Yeah, actually, I was working uh, uh, in the Heron Tower, which is yeah. a. It was like kind of like in London. I kind of uh, fulfill my dream, my teenage dream that was working. Where it is a stupid dream, but that's the one I had. It's just working in a skyscraper. I just like high rise. I used to love them. Mm-hmm. So in, in London, I, I had it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you uh, Hamish's? Where were you practicing? Uh, I practiced and assisted with, with Adam Keane for a long time. Oh, oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great yeah. friend of the show, Adam Keane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I see and then, that, like Adam, you started your own podcast. That's good. That's yeah. Parampara is what that is. Yeah. The Spanish, the it's only in Spanish, though, right? No. The podcast. It's English and Spanish. Yeah. yeah everything. Oh. Well, everything. Everything I speak. <laughs> Amazing. You have a kind of beautifully uh, modulated voice for the radio. Did you did you work at that? Was that something a part of your work? to have voice training? I was called calling for some time. So yeah. just call someone that doesn't want to receive your call with a 
crappy voice they're gonna hang up on you you better yeah right away you better work on that <laughs> yeah I'm calm confident centered i'm here yeah when i was called calling and i was it, it's super hard it's one of the hardest things i've ever done uh so mm-hmm. we we got great training uh yeah. and at first i sucked i was horrible it's so bad like the first two three weeks and everyone will hang up on me but then i started to get better and i got people talking and i went so nervous mm-hmm. that i hung up myself like oh my god i'm in a conversation <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the thing like when you finally get somebody and then you have no idea what to do or say they ask you things and you're like i don't think i know the answer to this now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you're talking about technology. I'm not an engineer, and I was selling technology. I was oh, and CFOs and CIOs and all this C-level people that do a lot. And I was like, they're like, hmm. well, <laughs> getting information in the end. That's why you need to do in sales. You don't need to know yeah. much as much as you need to uh learn how to ask the right questions that's the most important and listen you don't have to talk my my very first job i was 16 and i and i sold uh i sold ideals publishing books which were like picture books to grannies and nans (laughs) and i had to call them and i had to repeat the script exactly (laughs) And I remember I would wake up in panic attacks. My mom would kind of shift me awake and I would wake up with a fright. I was so frightened and anxious about selling these books to grannies. It couldn't have been more freaked out. uh, It is hard though. It is difficult to call a stranger is what I, yeah. So I, I, um, yeah, I, I especially so I I hate making eye contact and going outside and talking to people. I think I might be autistic. I'm not sure, but it's horrifying for me to interact with other human beings. <laughs> what what's the script that you had to re- can you remember? I'm curious. What's what's the script? The script? <laughs> was, you know, I'm I'm not 19. You know that I wasn't. That's not three years ago. That is 30 years ago. Okay, I don't even think you're 30 years old. Are you 30? I'm 40. I'm, I'm going to turn 42. Uh, I have suits older than 42. <laughs> He's teasing you. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the story. So you have a wonderful voice. You're great training. You're jazzed by your yoga practice and you're lit up electric first thing eight o'clock in the morning he was like this lady must be russian she's amazing <laughs> and then like just a fantastic say like uh spanish uh what ca- caucasian you know i don't know what the, what these russians are called but you know <laughs> a tech salesperson spanish. is working with adam keen adam is it must be very enthused with your work that you're doing for him and you gave up all of this to do the yoga? Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> what, <laughs> what made you dive in head first to <laughs> teaching, practicing, starting your own shala? <laughs> um, well, when I, I, when I was, when I moved to London, I had, uh, I worked for an American team and I had uh, my manager, he was from Georgia. He was very laid back. He was a very nice guy, very hard working, working. He was very laid back. And so I had a lot of freedom and I like that. But then I got another manager. Uh, she was after a promotion and she was on top of us, 94, seven. And was she wasn't from Georgia, I imagine. <laughs> no. She was from a Northern country. A Northern state. A Northern state. No, she was from Ireland, actually. Um oh. Much more north. Much more north. <laughs> half Irish, half somewhere in Africa. I can't remember the country. Um, but yeah, she was like on it, on top of us. And I started, you know, the yoga gave me this kick uh, at the yeah. sales career to really perform because I had so much energy that I didn't know what to do with it. So I would just call clients and go to meetings. But then when things settled, I started to move towards the, the opposite uh, side of the spectrum. And mm. I would have these forecast calls every Monday morning just to see how we were doing with our deals and our pipeline, all these things that you need to have uh, very clear in your mind when you're working in sales. And I was like, I was thinking like, I don't care. <laughs> You talk to the person who's going to sign the contract. It's like, no. Do you ask this question? No. And if this person doesn't show up, do you, do you know who would sign the contract? Is that no? It was like I was not there anymore. Yeah. I, I and interested, and so I thought that I should leave with dignity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because my numbers were starting to like not be so people. People are starting to document your performance, and so it's better sometimes to step out by yourself. Pride <laughs> left. Yeah. 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 Pride. Yeah. And that's what I did. That's interesting. There's there's a um a a rap mogul, uh, Russell. What's his last? Russell Simmons, and he. He did his first transcendental meditation class, and he did. And they did some. They did some asana, and he. He said he came up and out of the relaxation, and he said, "This is going to cost me a lot of money." <laughs> That's a great. Be good feel because like he, he because he up. felt like that that panic, that need, that uh, that drive to make money. Yeah. He felt that go away. Yeah. And so he was he was much more relaxed and confident in himself. And he's like, oh, I'm not gonna make as much money without that that pain inside me. That's so true. It's actually spot on. You need to be hungry for making money when you're in sales. You need that hunger. And I didn't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. Gone. And also yeah. All this, like being so thorough about everything, having everything controlled. Yeah. I thought it was uh, delusional. You can't have everything controlled. So my forecast calls, they were a failure. I mean, they, I, I got 
not yelled at because people will not yell at me, but I will be reprimanded. <laughs> like you need to reprimanded, yeah. It's clear. And inside of me, I was like, screw that. I don't want to get this clear. I just want to get out of here. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a fascinating because there's such a, a beautiful paradox there that initially the yoga is motivating and giving you this kind of kundalini pranic <laughs> energy. And then it fully blooms and you lose your sense of, of concern. And then the work then suffers. That's a, that's a really, that's a fine balance. Yeah. Well, I think that I was telling a friend the other day, I would think that the way you change is from one extreme to the other. And then at some point, the pendulum uh, swings to the middle, but the easiest change is going from zero to hundred. Then the, yeah. hard, yeah, the hard thing is uh, finding that 50-ish, that middle path, that's a hard yeah. one. But again, yeah. super easy. Mm-hmm. So that's- yeah. Yeah, because the problem's still there in a way, um, or it's a new problem maybe when you take that swing from, you know, where you're like making the money and you're feeling good and you're in your, and then you lose that interest and you feel like satisfied and content and, you know, and then you move into a yoga field, you still have to like feed yourself and pay your rent. And if you have a family, you know, pay for your kids' food and your kids activities and schooling and all the things right and so you can't just sort of like sit there content unless you happen to have a trust fund or a million dollar savings account that's helpful (laughs) right you still have to then figure out how to create livelihood Hmm. i I left sales with with money not a ton of money i left with with some money and then I started taking some classes and um, and and then you know this one of these unicorn companies that is called WeWork. They were becoming established oh, yeah. in in London back then. And I just uh, I was following my sales instinct and I established a yoga program for every building in WeWork. So they actually kind amazing. Of- <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a that's a that's a synchronicity of, of culture. That's nice. Um, so, but it is true that um, I'm still, I left sales in 2015. That's eight years ago. And <clears throat> I'm still caught up in some of my old life's mindset. Eight years later, I haven't done nothing of it but it's so deeply ingrained i'm still caught up in like the ideas of private productivity productivity like being productive yeah. if i'm not doing something i'm wasting my life away this kind of things so is still like uh lurking in the shadows of my mind and mm-hmm. they make me they, they push me to make the wrong calls yeah doing things <laughs> racing yeah it's interesting because your mom was, was very much the same. Your mother is an entrepreneur. She was a, a, a fashion designer. She was into, I think uh, she had a bridal farm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it says 
bridal firm. Firm. Um, <laughs> so, so she didn't grow she didn't brides, grow brides but she was still a lot of production there. Um, so, so, it, so it's interesting, like maybe there's like a very big piece of you that's like your your mom that um, you feel uh, maybe it, it, it needs to manifest itself. It, it needs to operate, but maybe sometimes you don't. Mm. Are you in conflict, I think is my question. In conflict? Um, internally. Mm. Inner conflict, like everyone else. Uh, I can see things of my mom in me, especially the looks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and character is my dad. Oh. It's, what did your dad do? Well, he passed five years ago, but he was an interior designer. Mm. And he was also an entrepreneur. So the entrepreneurial one was my dad. He would just take risks and oh. he was very like, uh, actually, he went bankrupt two or three times in his life. And oh my god, that's a good experience to have. Yeah, yeah he went like actually, uh, it's actually very humbling. I can imagine, I can imagine just from having a lot of if you're in business and if you make money, if the business goes well, you make a lot of money. If it doesn't go well, you're broke. So he experienced yeah. both from being like in fancy parties on New Year's Eve to not having money even to buy the newspaper. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So imagine like the psychological uh, process of that. Yeah. yeah, I can. I mean, my my mother is an entrepreneur, and so you know she's gone from being on the Johnny Carson show, selling her product, to working at a factory, to having her own business, to being bankrupt to having a very successful business that employed her entire family. So it's like those ups and downs to me are synonymous with sales. <laughs> to me, sales is, is under how to be, like you said, this middle path while mm. you have the ups and then the extreme lows and you're just trying to maintain, you know, the tack and the wind because it's, it's so like the, the, the back and forths are so violent. That's very true. And those are things that I learned, especially ever since I run the Shala and that I opened. Because when you run a program for someone else, you still have safety. I mean, there, there are things that eventually I think you want to do your own thing, but you still have that safety net or that feeling of safety. Like, I'm going to get paid whether five people come through the door. It's 25. I'm gonna get paid. Mm. Be more or less yeah. have it covered. But when it's your shell, it's like hmm. you really, <laughs> yeah. you need to be on top of things, especially on top of yourself as well. Yeah, yeah I think that's something that a lot of um yoga practitioners, you know, turning yoga teachers don't really think about which is that when you step into that role of a yoga teacher I mean from a student perspective it seems really maybe glamorous or like your ideal job oh I just get to practice yoga and do yoga all the time and 
you know, I get to help people and it's incredibly <laughs> stressful, but, but you don't realize that you actually, when you take on your own program or run your own school, you are an entrepreneur and a small business actually owner. sales are very important yes. <laughs> to keep the doors open. 100% of small and business. people don't just walk through the doors. You know, you have to think of ways to tell people about what you're doing. They told us, just put a sign up, <laughs> do not market, do not advertise, and they will just come. Yeah, but And it's such really bullshit. And meanwhile, <laughs> they're so heavily promoting their own tours. Yeah. It's like, what's, it's another hypocrisy is what it is. <laughs> but it is, it is shocking, right? And it is a heavy, heavy weight and a heavy burden to carry that like, oh, I actually have to learn something about running a business now. <laughs> and I, I got into the yoga to get away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah. Sometimes I, I think what I used to make in sales and what I make now, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with you? Yeah. So one of the things that I found more challenging or maybe the most challenging thing for me, well, it's been two. The first one, how do you keep boundaries? I think in Saxon countries, that's way more natural. It's way more in people's minds, like keeping my boundaries. And uh, Whereas here in Spain, it's like, ah, it's a part of more part of right. So I found coming from um, this kind of countries and, and having lived there for, for a few years and not having spoken Spanish in like years, really. Yeah. Here and thinking of boundaries and looking at people, looking at you like, what's wrong with you? You're such a weird mm -hmm. <laughs> That I struggle. Mm -hmm. And then I also struggle with when when people leave, when students leave, at first, yeah. I, like really personal, like it, it broke my heart. It literally broke my heart. And I thought, yeah. like that. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's yeah. heartbreaking when a student leaves because it's, it's also, it's, it's like your livelihood at the same time. It's like a, this is a person you, you spent time with every day for six months develop or, or six or six years, like developing them as, a, and then like, oh, I guess you just broke up with me. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feels like that. Yeah, that feels. And so that's been one of the hardest. And it, um, what I'm gonna say, it's very, it, it's the real thing that I really, uh, I really feel I'm, I'm grateful for those experiences because they have shown me parts of myself that are broken and that are wounded. Mm. All this mm -hmm. kind of like abandonment issues. Yeah. That you realize that you actually have when a student leaves, it's like, okay, people have their own life. You have to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to, to some extent, it happens to everyone. And if you're not, when you run your own gig, I think it's even more evident. Because then the, the financial um aspect and it comes into play as well yeah and, yeah it's it's all it's a like double <laughs> the pain <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, 
teaches you a lot. It teaches you a lot about yourself, especially. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. That's that's interesting because that's also a, a you mentioned this in your biography how um, these kinds of um, this this kind of a this drama uh, was was there at the opening of your shala, and I wonder if you could talk about that because it's it's said when you when you first started your your shala, you mm-hmm. said you saw your whole life collapsing, and it's mm-hmm. a it's a funny thing to say right when you're you know giving birth to this new venture <laughs> is that everything is kind of retracting at the same time i can it sounds like a lot happened in a short time and i, I wonder what you feel comfortable talking about oh yeah um so i was in actually the day after the new year of 2018 i was in santosha in mysore and i got a whatsapp call from my fiance and he told me that Either I stopped going to mice or we were through. It was over. Yeah. And it was like, excuse me, happy new year. <laughs> he didn't know that you were in Mysore at the time? <laughs> no, he knew, obviously. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So that caught me by surprise because I didn't see it coming. And I was I there like, in, like my, you know, my whatever I was eating, my omelette with. <laughs> yeah. And I was really, like someone was breaking up with me or give me an ultimatum over WhatsApp. Mm. And that got me thinking like how much should I compromise mm-hmm. for someone that I'm supposed to marry? Should I compromise and who I am? So this is because I was going back and forth in my mind and my rational mind said, well. If he's not happy with you coming to Mysore, maybe you can come every other year or you can space it out or it's part of the relationship. But then I was waiting at uh, the four-year uh, the institute, waiting to, to practice with Sharat. And I, I was looking into the room and I thought, I, I cannot give this up. I don't want to give it up. Mm-hmm. Want to give it up maybe in the future i will decide myself to give it up but it's not the time for me i want to keep coming i want to do this mm-hmm. so i told him and uh it was over my it was no for me it was over and i thought okay fine then my dad <coughs> three months no a month later or so my dad went to hospital and he ended up passing and then Three months later, my grandmother passed and she raised me when I was a kid. And my mom, she just collapsed. She had a nervous breakdown. She had a meltdown. And, and so I had no fiance. Um, just you, I was thinking of like, we were thinking of marriage and having a family and then that's taken away from you. So that's very yeah. disturbing, really. Uh, so yeah. no wife, no father, uh, no grandmother. And my mom was in bed. She was in bed for for three. That was actually the worst of all of it. It was seeing my mom in bed like like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and actually, I was already running uh, a Mysore program. No, in my own school, like for someone else. But I was there Monday through Friday, and the yoga, like having to be so focused 
and so present during the hours of the program, it really helped me to get out of of the drama and maybe also to avoid it uh, mm-hmm. to an extent because I was I had to deal with all those things happening like bit by bit, really not at the same time, not, not possible. But the yoga helped. Then I was doing kapatas and I wanted to freaking die because all my back mm. was like. <laughs> mm-hmm. That actually took me like four years to undo, you know, all the trauma. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then eventually my mom got better and she found, I told her, I think I want to just open my own place and do this, but for myself. Um, and she was feeling better and she found a place. Uh, and she found it like in the 8th of May and I was signing the lease on May 15th. So it was like everything super fast. And I showed up there. I was still pretty broken. Uh, but people will not notice because I think I'm a good actress as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, mm-hmm. You say, I, I forgot the name in English, but I'm very like uh, poised. I can be very poised. poised. Very poised. So people will not notice. They would just think that I was a little cold, but well, I, I was really, I was so in so much pain. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked and the place carried on and I continued developing. I learned a lot about myself. And here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And are are you still going back to Mysore? Did you carry on after that? Uh, I did, carried on, but then I had to stop because of COVID and I can't wait to, because I couldn't make it last year, unfortunately. I, I really yeah. like, I like things. I, I like practicing there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, because we're kind of these little these little podcasts. They kind of really try and get to the heart of why people make the decisions that they do, and and how those decisions then and preferences then inform the body they have, the life they have, the personality they have. It's mm-hmm. and you kind of. It just kind of, especially when hundreds of them play one after the other, you sort of start to kind of see how very unique people are. Mm. And I can see that poise in you that, you know, you have a quality of just watching me make a fool of myself and just sort of, hmm, that's funny at times. And it's interesting. It's interesting to see. And I'm, I'm interested also, maybe you could speak more about what the practice when you came to the practice what you found you were you were good at because that really kind of speaks to who you are and what your preferences are like some people are um forward benders or back benders i'm a hip swiveler um <laughs> some people are strength people and you see that kind of that 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 tension in them gives them advantages but also an enormous disadvantages I, what did you find you were you were good at and bad at in this practice? Uh, I started to do it and I was a little clueless. I I could move, so I suppose I was mobile. Uh, but then people used to tell me that I had a beautiful practice. I started to get that kind of remark. Oh, yes, that's beautiful. Oh, are you a dancer? Oh, are you a dancer? 
people think that I'm a dancer. Yeah, you have that quality about you, actually. Yeah. It's the poise. Just in your just in the way that you hold your head. You know, you, you can see that. Are you a dancer? Uh, no, she said no. I did some ballet when I was a, a kid and I, I was really bad at it. And then I did some did pole dance for three years. I did that. Ah, good. Yeah, yeah for money. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be too poised for that. Yeah, it can be. No. <laughs> but yeah, the mobility and it was it came easy and also like yeah just um being calm in the movements and trying to i think yeah that same poise in the practice mm-hmm. and like rhythm it's something that i really like mm-hmm. steady That's- mm-hmm. That's interesting. Sometimes we, when you see people who um, who are mobile, it's like a, I think in anatomy, they say physiological laxity. Sometimes mm. it's, you know, the hypermobility, it needs a, awareness mm. to kind of bring the whole thing back together so it doesn't collapse or fall apart in, in the easy places. Do you ever find that for you? No, I no, I never had problems with that. I only well with with my knee. I injured my knee because uh, mm. I was silly and ignorant. Um, I didn't know better, and, and the teacher that I was mm. with didn't know better either. So it was like dumb and dumber coming together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, what happened in Akapada? Varanchiasana. Uh, no, it was my chestnut. Uh, the first two years of practice, I was, I went uh, on a plane. I landed. I went to yoga, and I went to the class. The class had started, so I skipped some salutations. I was coming from a plane, and I was so eager to practice. I started with seated, and then in my chestnut, I really wanted to like do it the way I always did it, and I actually my knee. Oh. Found it. It was in pain, and so I told the yeah. teacher, kind of ignored me. I think I think he he didn't know. Yeah. yeah. We were just... too green. Too green. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean Irish. I mean too young. <laughs> in Irish. Green. When you say, I, well, I said too green, and uh, and young, like a greenhorn. Uh, uh, deer, and uh, I thought, no, no, I don't mean to confuse anyone. I don't not like the Irish green, but like a young, young buck. What about your back in Kapotasana, though? What happened there? You said it took four years to rehabilitate. Tense. She was very tense. No, it sounds like there was actual very serious pain and trauma <laughs> caused. Tension, stress. Well, you know, when like I was. Uh, they left me on WhatsApp and I was so angry. And so I could not believe it that that would happen. You know, the person that you trust is betraying you. Yeah, on WhatsApp of all the apps. (laughs) Doing your omelet and smoothie at Santosha. How dare you? (laughs) 
<laughs> and so everything was like, like literally my lower back, it's a little too mobile. It stopped being mobile. <laughs> it was not mobile. Mm, I like yeah. panic pain, neck and shoulders pain, neck and shoulder pain yeah. for like the first two years were hard. They were really hard. Like, mm. like about just entering the the spine and yeah. all mm. density around it. Seriously, yeah. yeah, that sounds like stress and tension to me. Yeah, did you did you at the time kind of were you able to draw that line between I had this very emotional event happen, and then could you like did you know right away like oh my body is kind of shutting down right now? I'm like feeling a lot of tightness or closeness protective yeah protection did did were you able to draw that sort of line right away or was that like on reflection yeah it was a little later at first i was just practicing out of willpower i think the ashtanga can be militant and i was definitely very militant i still am but in a different way luckily yeah um but at first I was like, just do it. And I do it. And I had good technique. Uh, um, my teacher in London, he had really good technique. And so mm-hmm. the technique, I, I didn't touch my back. And so I thank him for that. But still, the pain was there. Even though I was practicing, mm-hmm. the pain was yeah. there. And I actually started to realize, like, yeah, that I'm, I'm, I'm feel blocked inside like i'm doing this thing and i was like practicing early morning before going to teach like waking up at three in the morning i also uh seeked or sought refuge in the practice which i think it's very human we are and you just hold on and what you have what you have is is the practice and then you just hold on tightly and then just uh, closing your eyes really tightly on it. Mm-hmm. Point if your if the practice is doing what it's supposed to do, uh, your inner intelligence it has to awake, say hey, <laughs> what are you yeah. <laughs> hello, and that's what happened to me. And um, um, I started to develop a more organic relationship with with the practice and firstly with myself I started to see it as um, a tool that was available for me to develop awareness in the body and in the mind and just grow as a person in a way that still is pretty mysterious to me that's still Mm -hmm. a mystery I don't understand really like how yoga exactly works but it doesn't work (laughs) <laughs> at least it, yeah. even though I kind of put a finger on it but I stopped being so blinded because of this event and started to develop like a communion with the practice and something that I could feel mine that was coming from my heart in a way from my mm. from my soul actually more than just my mind telling me you have to do this mm-hmm. and six days a week and the whole thing every day, no matter how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great. And and how and, and now do you feel like a hundred percent? Uh my back? Yeah, your whole practice. You know, everything. Your knee, your back, <laughs> the whole body. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my back released completely last summer. So it was not until last wonderful. So it's been like a few, like nearly five years. Uh, practice is good because I am wiser. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm definitely wiser. I think to do this practice, you at first you just you're dumb because you don't know. You just match your knee, which I did. You just uh, you go through different phases. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully you become wiser, not only because of practice, but because of life. Uh, the idea of uh, the guru, how the guru is um, your reality. All the things that happen in your life, things that come up, the things that stay, the things that uh, vanish, that's the guru. Mm-hmm. That's where you can learn a lot if you're open to learning. And it's the gateway to wisdom, to have this and the inner wisdom there to be awakened in a way. And I don't mean this in, I, I don't want to uh, sound very woo-woo or anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm quite practical, quite pragmatic. Uh, but it is true. I mean, I think there is wisdom in us. There's wisdom in, in our body if we listen the thing is that we don't listen. <laughs> we are like so stuck in here. Yeah. Yeah. But that's very nice to hear. Um, I, I rarely people refer to the guru as coming from the listening to the inner self. And you know, it's something that you know you hear that the Upanishads are talk about that the true guru is the shashumna the canal of our spine and the ida and the pingala and so you're you're observing you're observing what's happening to the rising and falling action of the gunas and this is the this is the guru and it's such a very um profound way to think about you know looking at a teacher and looking at, at a teacher's guidance because you're ultimately your own guru and there's so mm. much less dependence on another personality that mm. inevitably has their own uh, motives and so it's it's um <laughs> that's that's a rare thing to hear and i i wonder um i remember first hearing that from richard freeman i wonder where did you think that you picked that up Um, you hear people saying that. I mean, you open Instagram and everyone is like, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can pick that up on Instagram. That's right. Mm. Actually, it has to come from you. To talk about authority and credibility. From you, and I think it comes through pain and suffering. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's a it's kind of a, a terrible truth, but 
it's it's those moments of of suffering that really are the ones that are there for our growth, right? It's like that pain or that suffering or that obstacle. Like the obstacle isn't in the way, the obstacle is the way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like when we can like really embrace that. The whole the whole purpose of a yoga practice is to put up. you in an uncomfortable position that is difficult. And then you you have an emotional response that you then observe and manage and the i it's not actually or welcome the, the posture yeah you need to welcome it yeah you need and to integrate it into s- your nervous system some people get that in the first sun, sun salutation <laughs> yeah. and some unlucky people get that in fourth series <laughs> it's very unlucky <laughs> if you first encounter sensation in fourth series that's a problem i agree sometimes i think i'm really underdeveloped because of that, because I need to do all this stuff so often <laughs> to get that sense, you know, because people, mm-hmm. well, I'm sure there's someone on the planet that just sits down looking at the empty wall and just gets it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not- <laughs> This is hard. This empty wall is hard. I lost myself. Yeah. You know, I had to smash I think That's real heartbreak. Yeah, I just smashed Yeah. yeah. You know, I think I've thought a lot about this and and I even if you can sit down and look at the empty wall and mm. like get it, life's still going to happen. Mm. Right? Hopefully for not not for very much longer. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> and so you're still going to come up because like we don't live in a vacuum and we don't live in a cave and you know we have to create livelihood for ourselves and our families and there's other people in the universe mm, <laughs> and so dogs now. life still mm. is going to happen and so you might understand that in that isolated incident but then life's going to give you all kinds of interesting input and obstacles you mm. know and and even even good things can be obstacles right even yeah emotions of of bliss is an obstacle because we get attached to it and we want it and so it's it's very interesting (laughs) because even if you have it I think you're still gonna have to go through life and keep picking it back up again or keep finding it in different situations and scenarios I I remember I was this is so interesting um I remember I was doing conference once, like giving myself, giving a conference and we we're talking about equanimity. Uh, someone asked and said, the highs are not so high and the lows are not that low. And the student replied, does it mean that I'm not going to be happy ever again? <laughs> I didn't know what to answer. Like, I, I didn't know what to answer. Does it mean that if I'm more economist, I'm not going to be happy ever again? It's like, shit, that's a great mm-hmm. question. Because we want that. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of manic depressives go off their meds for the same reason. It's like, this is, this as equanimity sucks. But I don't think that's equanimity. I think that's like the, I think that's actually very interesting. And I think this question is wonderful because it's not 
you know, being equanimous isn't about just like numbing the highs and the lows, Uh right? And that's like what your medication does, or it's also like what we do. That's when we self-medicate, right? We're like numbing the sensations that we're not wanting to like go into or feel, you know, whether it's pain or boredom or, um, you know, we want excitement or we don't want to feel sadness or whatever it is, right? We have all kinds of different ways that we do this and everyone does it in many different forms. For example, I refused to watch the NBA playoffs last night because I didn't want to feel the heartbreak of my team losing, but I was like very interested still. Right. And so to me, the, the equanimity is because we're human and we're having a human experience and the emotions are chemical, right? Yeah. We can't avoid them. Emotions and we're not to avoid them. Yeah. We're going to feel them. And it, but it's to to feel it. And again, it's that that ability to welcome. Can you welcome the high mm. and not be sad when you're no longer feeling it or or mm. continue to seek out that sensation over and over again? Can you not want to numb out the sadness or the fear? or the frustration, Mm -hmm. but go into it and be with it Mm -hmm. and feel it, like really feel it, right? And that's like what Marichyasana D teaches you. Like nobody Mm -hmm. who's starting yoga practice wants to do Marichyasana D. It feels terrible, right? Not as bad as Parantiyasana D. Or Apochasana or whatever your pain point is, right? But can you go in there and feel it and be with it and like, and then release, right? Release. And then keep like, stay steady through that, through that process, through the experience of the highs and the experience yeah. of the lows. So like, so like, and not night, wish it to be different. So like last night, I'm, I'm like, finally, when the Warriors were up by 30, <laughs> I turned the game on to watch it, but I'd already missed the sweetness of them going up by 30. That's right. But I was spiritually bypassing the possibility <laughs> of heartbreak. Of heartbreak that they might be down and lose. And so I missed everything. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a great question. It's the same, like someone in a workshop once, I don't know, it might have been in Madrid. I'm not sure. But someone asked, asked, um, said, I'm I feel like I have, since I started yoga, I have no ambition for my job anymore. Like, she, no, she just said that. No, like, mm-hmm. like the same things that used to give me pleasure in my job, I'm not interested in, but like, I still have to work <laughs> and make money. But maybe she told us that in Madrid. <laughs> no, it was someone ago. else who was like, actually, she wasn't in her job anymore. She was working. <laughs> I mean, teaching yoga. <laughs> And it's, and it's this, the thing, like, can you still allow yourself to, to have goals and to have aspirations, right? And to feel. Yeah. And to, I mean, it might change a little bit for sure, because you're feeling more content internally, but like to still feel motivated to grow and, and expand in life. Well, Krishna tells us to do this, to pursue Sometimes I think the yoga practice is used as a numbing, a numbing Spiritual tool bypassing. rather than a, rather than a, a feeling tool, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually about feeling. Uh, I remember a friend of mine, 
said something really interesting. It was like, people come to yoga to feel better. And then they are more aware. Three, yeah. four, you're just more aware. And you're actually, that's, you can't, yeah, you worse. feel worse. But it's, 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 no, it, no, you don't feel worse. You actually do feel more intensely. Yeah, you start you, feeling you feel, more. You feel, you're better at feeling. You're feeling better. It's true. <laughs> yeah. You're better at feeling. Yeah, you're, you're better. better at feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's like this, I, I can't sit down in chairs anymore. It really hurts. You get kicked out of restaurants in Madrid. That's funny. <laughs> you get kicked out of restaurants. That's feeling better. Yeah. That's I'm aware that I should be sitting in Lotus with a straight spine. And then they're kicking me out of the restaurant because I feel better. They didn't want you to take your shoes off. Oh, my, I clean my socks every day. <laughs> And it was inexcusable. Mm. But it is a process. I think, like you say, it's it's a, an unfolding, and and there is definitely a a path that that as a practitioner you kind of go on, right? And you're gonna mm -hmm. come up against all these things over and over and over again in different ways. It's horrific. I think the practice helps you. Uh... <laughs> helps you to to live it's a tool yeah. to you how to live to teach you how to live mm -hmm. and if it's not teaching you that if you're now becoming better at feeling at leaving then you have to review your practice yeah. then you reconsider what you're doing mm -hmm. and yeah. i mean life is gonna life is gonna suck many times mm -hmm. everyone's gonna die you are gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I, in some conference, I tell these two students, "It's like, sorry to cheer you up, guys, but but it is not a secret. Everyone knows that you're gonna die. I mean, who thinks that it's <laughs> ever? Even though we think, I oh, know that's never gonna happen to me, until it happens, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so you're gonna lose everything that you think you had. Uh, and this kind of concepts you can talk about them from the mind or you can talk about them because you have gone through some dark times that have taught you actually I experience that that's how you learn when you experience mm -hmm. taught you all this stuff and that's when you can speak with credibility yeah because you're not just reading from a book is saying nice ideas that you put on Instagram. You actually, you can put them on Instagram, <laughs> but like they can be real because you've gone through that. And so the practice has to help you to live the good and the bad, uh, the highs and the lows. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because that's, I mean, that is life as the guru, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're either going to take the guru's medicine or you're going to resist. You can spit it out. <laughs> and and <laughs> resisting reality is you're going to lose 100% of the time. You're just going to suffer more, right? I, so it's I have enough problems without having my neck bulge blue with the with the, the the Are you Shiva the, swallowing poison? No, thank you. <laughs> But it's very, it's, it's beautiful that way. It is beautiful. And I think also what you're saying is, 
is that the practice is here to help us like get in touch with that inner voice, with that inner knowledge, with that inner wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then like when we can hear it and we can feel it, mm -hmm. then we can like learn and grow and, and the path is, is there before us. Starting with the body, you have to feel yourself in the body. That's very important. And when you approach things very militantly, you stop feeling the body. You you are in a different. You're practicing from a different space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, is how you keep the rigor, and how you keep the structure, and how you keep things being coherent, and then alive as well. Mm -hmm. As you practice for, I've been practicing Ashtanga Yoga for thirteen years. Uh, so I think the first decade was apprenticeship. I really kind of like <laughs> knowing where my where things are inside. That was the first 10 years. Now I feel way more mature in my practice. And to mm. me, challenge. How you keep yeah. it. Um, so you don't actually start indulging too much or just like how it does not disintegrate, but how it gives you uh the range of exploration that you need. That you actually mm -hmm. um, to keep growing because you're stuck. That's that's what Eddie would say to us in in New York. Is if if you if you start teaching before you've been practicing ten years, you have the you have a new student disease. That's what that is, and you right. to, you need to let that percolate. You need to let that cook before you start, you know, abusing other, other people. Abusing. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's an excitement too, when it's new and you you're, there's a love for it, which is beautiful. And that's contagious. I think new teachers, fresh teachers are amazing at like bringing students into the practice yeah. because they have so much excitement excitement for it and then you know after 10 years 20 years you're like oh yeah it's <laughs> you have like more of a reality of the immensity of the undertaking <laughs> the teacher said once oh when people uh, show up in yoga i say your head is already in the mouth of the tiger <laughs> you don't know it's good into <laughs> it's so it's so true. Yeah. But people don't come they don't come to yeah. put the mouth of the tiger. They come to actually <laughs> can't you like feel better? Yeah. yeah. They think they're gonna ride the tiger. Yeah. Like, like no, you're not gonna ride any tiger. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's true. Beautiful. Well, you know, you're really interesting. You're a bit of a slow burn, but actually, <laughs> you're actually like really profoundly present, aren't you? And like, you're very much aware of, of death. And that's fantastic to see. And it's really nice. And it's mm -hmm. been, I, I, uh, I, I really like Madrid as a city. Um, a lot. I wanted to go and, and study there. I wanted to study painting in Madrid. Um, oh, what's his name? Who's that great Madrid Celestis? Spanish uh, realist? Oh, oh he's like the 
Huh? Velasquez? No, no, no. He's long dead. Um, um, he did. There's a great. Uh, he did uh, the the great portrait of the royal family in the palace. Oh, the the, yes, the new one. We saw that. Oh gosh, I'm going to look him up, and then we can uh, edit this out. But um, just to say, I would love to come back and see more paintings and and visit. And I think it, it would be really nice to see your place. We're not asking for a workshop. Forgive me. We're, I already we're, going to Madrid. You're going to I'm Madrid. Going to school. You're going to Madrid. <laughs> When are you doing that? In September. Oh, go. <laughs> no, you have to oh, the dogs. Fucking hell. I'm just <laughs> so excited. Yeah, we're very excited. At the end of September, I yeah. will be in Madrid at your school. And my yoga shala, I think, is that what it's called? The other school? You team yeah. up? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. We do stuff together. Yeah. Other one. Sangha world. If you just go with the long wolf mentality, it's very arid. I think it's really nice, actually, because it's it's nice to have that community and that support. And rather than like feeling competitive, which often happens when there's different yeah. schools in the city, people like are you know then this group of students are like, I'm not going to that workshop because it's not at my studio and. People get very, it's weird. It's a weird political thing sometimes. And so I love that you two are teaming up and building community rather than, you know, feeling competitive. Well, it's, it's easier for us as well. Yeah. yeah. You, you know Antonio Lopez Garcia? Oh, yeah. And the, oh, yeah. He's very he's good. The greatest, he's the greatest painter alive. <laughs> and there's no question. There's him and there's everyone else. They're he's, all... Yeah. The one that paints the toilets. The yes. Like photograph. Yeah. That's his mid-career stuff. His new stuff is all like the Madrid uh, horizons, the the skylines. Yeah. Mm. His he takes he'll take fifteen years on a painting, and he'll only work on it. Like uh, this painting I'm making the first week of September. I only I only work on it in the first week of September, so the light is the same. So he brings that canvas out every September to work on it. And so his wow. paintings are takes 15 years to make, 20 years. It's very sometimes. organized. <laughs> yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Wow. He's just a, a living treasure. So I, I would like to come and see more of them. Maybe next time. Oh, next time, I guess. <laughs> You're not coming? I guess um, I'm not coming. Is what it sounds like. I'm, you know, I can only hint so much, and then I'm, you know, you got to take your your no and go home. Maybe if if people write in and comment that they want you to come to Spain, if we could Spain, get we'll... another hundred people to sign up for this workshop, we could afford to bring there Russell to the workshop. Yeah. So let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with it. If yeah. all the Swedes would come down who are listening, <laughs> if you would come to Spain in September where it's very warm, then you we could all afford to bring Rusty. Yeah. Mm. I think right, go look at go look at those paintings again. Those are very nice. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Whether Russell comes or not oh, is yet to be determined hell. by registration. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And I'm actually Harmony. I'm very excited to to work with women, practice with women. 
when you get to a point, to a certain point in practice, you need to work with someone with a body like yours. She's quite bossy. I mean, honestly. She's so, worked just with me before. Bossy. She's a bossy boss. She's always like, like, like standing on your fingers and spreading them out when you're in downward dog. It's like, would you leave my hands alone? Please? I'm much more gentle now. No, 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 no. <laughs> Every year, I like getting more and more, more, and more gentle. <laughs> I'll let you know, Russell, how that goes on the downward dog. <laughs> on the downward dog. <laughs> Fantastico. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was so wonderful to have you. To you. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, a couple of months. She will see you soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.